97 South's Storytellers features conversations with professional songwriters and seeks to pull back the curtain on the art, craft, and career of songwriting. We'll bring you to those magical moments of creativity that have delivered the inspiring songs that make up the soundtrack of our lives. I'm Paul McGuire, and my guest today is awarded songwriter, producer, and musician Jeff Trott, a longtime collaborator of Sheryl Crow and an architect of her unique sound. He's penned hits like Every Day is a Winding Road, My Favorite Mistake, and Soak Up the Sun. Jeff has lent his production chops to recordings by Hootie and the Blowfish, Sheryl Crow, and Stevie Nicks, and toured as a guitarist with Tears for Fears and World Party. Hi, Jeff. Hey, how's it going? You know, I was thinking for a guy that's had such a massive impact on the music industry, you didn't even realize you were getting into it. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like it just kind of happened because you were good at guitar or you could kind of sing and your buddies hung out on Sunday mornings at their mom's in their mom's basement and you started a band and all of a sudden you're you're expected to deliver. You have deliverables. Yeah. (laughs) I uh it's funny you should say that because I was talking to this friend of mine about how I even got into it. I originally I went to college uh majoring in telecommunications because i thought i was going to be a broadcaster okay whereabouts where was that uh in san mateo just south of san francisco okay so that's where i'm originally from san francisco so i was going to the school wasn't like a real you know high-end school but what it did have is a great broadcasting program Right. So I thought, okay, you know, I can either be a broadcaster or a DJ or a station manager, programmer, or something like that. Right. Like for 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 a local television station, for a news organization, Where, do sports, weather, whatever. You know, right out of high school, yeah. I was just trying to, you know, I was kind of winging it. Well, yeah. I like music, so maybe I can play some music for people. I worked at a. Uh, well, I shouldn't say worked. I. I was part of a pirate radio station. I love it. That I built with a fellow student. We were, you know, trying to get our commercial broadcasting license and all that. I don't even know if you need that anymore, but and so we climbed up this giant tree in his backyard and we strapped a long antenna and then why it spent like, you know, a month trying to wire it and get it going. And we were uh we were able to get a whole one watt of power. Yeah. So that one watt could go a mile radius. You're covering your neighborhood, your hood. My neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. The only people that get to hear us are neighbors that probably don't want to hear us. Yeah. So we did that. We played a lot of like punk rock stuff and, you know, indie music. Was this, were you like in your friend's place and you're using turntables? Yeah, we were actually using turntables. Yeah. Yeah, and he had a ni- really nice, like, Thorin's, turn- you know, Swedish turntable. Yeah. And- so how old were you when you were doing this, when you were pirates of the radio? I guess, like, 18 or something, 18 yeah. or 19, probably 19. And, you know, like, this is the end of the 70s, which is when punk happened. You know, so I was listening to groups like Television and the Buzzcocks and dead Kennedys and then 
you know, eventually morphed into like post punk, you know, Joy Division. Beautiful. So I was listening to very beautiful, brooding kind Love of it. dark, angular kind of music. Yeah. It was fun. So we we did this broadcast, and then we. It was really enjoyable, even though I know there's probably like, you know, three people that were listening. We were just playing records that we liked. Was there any modicum of celebrity that you got out of it? Like, hey, you're the guys who are doing that thing. Because you're probably talking too, right? Yeah. Also like talking between songs about whatever's going on. Zodiac? I don't know. What's going on in the San Francisco, the Bay Area in the late 60s? So we, yeah, we would just broadcast as if we were, you know, reaching a huge audience or something. And we would say, okay, now we're going to make your ears blister. Here's some Iggy Pop or whatever. And we would mix it in with like really weird electronic music from that day, like really into the soundtrack for A Clockwork Orange. Oh my God. Which is like maybe credited as being, it's not really the first electronic record but that's kind of the marker i think yeah mixed in with uh, with beethoven like all of the way yeah. that they did that i think yes. the soundtrack was incredible yeah it was uh wendy carlos did that there's a bbc documentary it's called synth britannia, synth britannia. and it's a 10 part series and it sort of documents you know all the synth pop stuff and then like just its its whole history. It's fascinating. I highly recommend it. It's really entertaining too. Like some of the interviews with like the guys from Kraftwerk are just hilarious. Yeah. They are just <laughs> they are amazing. They're true artisans, you know. But uh what what a cool what a cool way to get into what you do now. That the fact that I mean you do the major leap to today and how many people know uh, by heart words that you have written for, for songs. At the beginning, you get into it, you know, you're sharing your love of music. You're also kind of like um, aggressively technological. You're like trying to grab a hold of the tech that gets this stuff out there. And you're, yeah. you're, you're engaged by that, which is really kind of cool. Because often it's like one or the other, right? Like the guy, I work in radio still, there's the tech guys, the engineers who run everything. Then there are the, the broadcasters, the people who are on the other side who don't know how to plug a, a radio in. But you are obviously entranced by both things. You love storytelling, you love the music, and you love the tech side of things. So I'm, that's a pretty amazing combination, dude. Well, I've always been kind of a do-it-yourselfer. Yeah. And that's why, like, okay, I can't do this, so I'm going to try to figure out how to do it. And the like, whole punk rock thing and indie music was always like that and my journey through college to try to be a broadcaster I was asked to substitute for uh, to play bass in some punk rock band because their guy was missing or whatever yeah he didn't show up to the gig so they (laughs) asked me to play can you fill in for him and I did and I was just a hack I mean I'd never taken a music lesson in my life but being a ardent music fan I kind of learned how to play. My sister taught me how to play like, you know, a D chord and then an A chord. And then from there, okay, I th- learned. This is, this is a pretty important part that we can't kind of just skip over. Your first introduction to being a musician was your sister teaching you how to play the bass? I owe everything to my sister. <laughs> yeah. That everything. is wild. Yeah. That's absolutely yeah. wild. What did your sister do? I need a little bit about your sister. 
How did she know how to play the bass? What was she doing? Well, actually, it wasn't a bass. It was like a nylon string, you know, like a Spanish guitar with nylon strings. And it was, you know, she was trying to learn. She knew how to play a few more chords than I did. I didn't know how to play anything, but I was fascinated by hearing her play. And I said, oh, please teach me. And so she would, okay, start with the D chord. Okay, so I would learn the D chord, play it for a whole day. Yeah. Or whatever. How old are you at day. this point? Give me, give me some context. I think I was still in high school or something like that. It's great. I was just inspired by her. You know, she's, you know, learning how to play, you know, whatever, Cat uh, Stevens or something like that. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, teach me. And so she did. And then eventually I was borrowing her guitar all the time. And then I think, unfortunately, she, I think she just gave up on playing, maybe because I hogged the guitar. Yeah. Um, but so that led to that, you know, I really do have her to thank for, you know, showing me the way. And that led to, you know, playing a little bass, you know, playing in a couple of punk bands. Yeah. And then, uh, and then while, while trying to be a broadcaster, you know, filling in for other people on bass or guitar or whatever. And eventually that led to a band that I was filling in for, uh, this band Wire Train, ended up getting a record deal. And that made me get out of, yeah, I was no longer a broadcaster. I ended up, you know, playing in a signed band and touring around and in a van and all that kind of stuff. So there's a there's an element, there's obviously a... a, a a sea change that has to happen at some point for you, where you realize, uh, maybe not, you, maybe you don't realize, you do it by accident, where you become the storyteller, the person who is confident enough uh, and has, well, first of all, you need a story to tell, then you realize that you're capable of putting that into some sort of, uh, some form, whether it's a, a novel, you can tell stories as a broadcaster, but you've enveloped yourself in music and you become a songwriter. When was the moment that you became a songwriter? Well, probably in, you know, a couple of my early bands, there was a band called The Lifers. And so I wrote songs. I didn't start off as a lyricist, although I'd read a lot of poetry right. and stuff like that. The and, Lifers is a great name for a band, by the way. Oh, thanks. It's so yeah, good. They, they, were, they were all like film students and stuff while I was trying to be a broadcaster. Yeah. And we somehow, you know, it was a a bowling league band, you know, like just for fun. Yeah. But none of us were really good enough to do cover songs. So like I hated learning somebody else's songs. So that was really instrumental in me, you know, writing my own songs. So I was like, okay, well, that's incredible. I've never heard that before. What a great, uh, we weren't good enough to do cover songs. So we were forced to just make up our own stuff. Make up our own song. Yeah. Yeah. that's kind of, and then I didn't really know how to write like a song per se, especially I think in the punk rock new wave world, it sort of gave hope to people that weren't necessarily polished or yeah. went to college for, you know, got a, a degree in music theory. But instead, it's like, no, I can express myself through this song or whatever. And that's how I, you know, I went from playing in a band and helping write songs. And I'd throw in my two cents as far as writing lyrics. But I think I didn't really start writing songs 
like on my own until after that band had broken up and then I thought, okay, well, you know, I'm going to make my own project and, you know, I love singing and even though I don't have a great lead singing voice, I can harmonize with people. As long as you're, you know, conveying, you know, your, how you're feeling or, or displaying your art, however it is, you're expressing authentically with your voice you know, and a lot of people say, oh, you know, you're so talented. How, you know, how do you do? I could never do that. I'm like, you're looking at somebody that was in, I was in your place at one point, And it's like, no, you can do it. You just have to sit down and try. Yeah. And you, you were doing it. You were doing everything. It doesn't sound to me like you were ever lacking for enthusiasm or energy. It sounds like you were always trying to do something. But I want to hear about the first song you wrote, the first song you wrote by yourself when you became a, you know, a collaborator. And when other artists realized that they needed to be in your camp or have you in their camp? Well, I think, um, you know, when I moved to L.A. in the early 90s, you know, I had a lot of alone time. I had this beat up old piano and I would just make up songs. And that's when I realized that aside from playing in bands and helping the lead singer write songs and come up with parts and harmonies. One of the things that I enjoy doing is coming up with a concept for a song. Yeah. Like, uh, I might just, you know, think of, um, you know, how to cure yourself or something like that. Maybe that's what the I'll write about. Rather than being direct, I will maybe put together a list of things that will uh, uh, sort of fit into that realm. Like a sh- I call it a shopping list or you would whatever. Like, and, like physically write them down, these things? Yeah, I would yeah. write down, you know, something that would, you know, maybe cure me or something. And, and, then, um, and then try to arrange it in a way that became a song, you know, or I could, you know, you sing it, sing a line, you know, that maybe points to this cure or whatever. I'm just kind of like... No, 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 I got you. Like, does, does a melody I'm, exist or is there is there a chord progression? Is there a, anything at this point or is this this is the zygote of the idea? Yeah, well, then maybe I would take like that idea or, the, or one of the lines from the shopping list and then I would try to sing it without anything. Like, it's not necessarily, oh, I have this melody, but maybe I have this phrase and then I would try to like sing the words or whatever and then i would go from there and then refine it and then it's like oh okay this is what where it's heading maybe it's not about curing me maybe it's you know whatever to pass the time or this whatever is discovery it is, the know? discovery of it. discovery it's, 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 it's it's uh uh revealing itself to you as you're working it i love it yeah, yeah. so like if you know to pinpoint exactly went with the first song that I ever wrote. Yeah, I, I couldn't tough. really say that's really hard. Okay. What, what's the room um, you're in? Where are you? Uh, well, uh, so I moved to LA in, I think it was 91 and in, and Silver Lake is sort of East Hollywood. Yep. And at the time it was not really, you know, the sort of, yuppie posh area that it is today <laughs> it's gentrified for sure since then i'm just thinking about the, the the time and for you what it was like to have nothing but time and you're doing your thing that must have been a key that unlocked so much 
Yeah, you know, like, you know, dealing with loneliness and all this stuff. Because when you move to L.A., unless you are have already have like a family or yeah. something like that, there are a lot of friends. It's a very lonely place. You yep. know, there's, you know, seven million people there and you're still lonely, you know. But eventually, you know, you find people that are kind of like-minded and there's a lot to write about. I mean, I went to the this Vaughn's grocery store and I overheard this conversation with this guy who looked like a hell's angel and he was telling some guy, you know, oh, you really need to discover the Lord. And it kind of threw me off and I was like, wow, what? Like this hell's angel guy is talking about Jesus or yeah. something. So I, I so I wrote a song called Biking for Christ's Sake. <laughs> <laughs> Just based on like what I overheard this guy saying. And so so that that was the beginning like of, you know, officially writing you know, whole songs and stuff like that. And how and, did how did you how did you turn that into a thing that allowed you to continue to keep doing it? Well, okay, so after playing in a band that was signed playing guitar it was a band called wire train and um we actually opened for in excess um which was pretty freaking amazing um i eventually what i did was i did some studio work for the a couple of producers that would just invite me over to play like for playing guitar studio work just play playing guitar and all that stuff i you know you know i play a do a session and maybe make 500 or a thousand dollars and that would that would pretty much cover my month so yeah. I did that for quite a while but you had the idea having opened for in excess and having had had the experience of being on stage in front of audiences who were re- responding to music that you were putting out there now you're yeah. in LA you're in Hollywood you're in the place where dreams are made and incredible works of fiction are created and put out there into the uh, into the world this is the plan that you've got you this is what you're aiming towards i am going to somehow continue this this is what you're doing you don't quite know how you're going to do it yet but this is what you're doing well i mean it's kind of the only thing i really knew how to do (laughs) yeah Uh, i know that at that that. point it's sort of like well okay yeah i could get off this and maybe get back to broadcasting yeah but no, I'm enjoying still being a creator. And, but music is um, it. I'm going to make a, a living making music. That's what you're I'm going to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, if it's doing some session work that will, you know, afford me to be able to write my own songs. Yeah. And, Did you do um, any crazy session work that nobody knows about? Like a secret track on a Chili Peppers record or a... Or anything like that 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 hasn't come out yet. Come on, I need to do some breaking news here. Um, yeah, <laughs> I guess. Uh, so I played on this Bash and Pop record, which uh, was led by Tommy Stinson, who was in the Replacements. Yeah. So I played on his his thing. That's cool. And then that producer, this guy Don Smith, had worked with the uh, Heartbreakers and Traveling Wilburys and all oh, that stuff. That's legit. Yeah. That's legit. legit. So I worked with Tommy for a little bit. And then I really wasn't, you know, the bills were being paid. But then a friend of mine called me up and said, Hey, uh, Tears for Fears is looking for a guitar player who can sing and maybe play other things and all this stuff. 
And he had, I, I dropped your name and I, and I said, oh, well, you used to play in this band called World Party. Oh, my God. Uh, so he is a big fan. And if you want to, you know, start playing with Tears for Fears, you know, you can. And I was thinking like, oh, I am, you know, I'm completely incapable un of playing in such a <laughs> technical band. Did you really like, think that? Did really? You, really, you really thought that? You thought you were not yeah. qualified? I just thought, no, there's just no way, you know, I'm a hack and all this stuff. You really thought and, that, though. In your heart yeah. of hearts, you didn't think that you were qualified or capable or had the, had the chops to do that. I mean, I've always had a little bit of fearlessness, like, oh, yeah, I'll do that. I'll try that. But sure. I was thinking, like, tears for fears. It's like, how can I? There's no way. But uh, I, love, the guy, I love that, man. That's amazing. Yeah. That's so nice. So I ended up playing, I think, in 92 or 93. Oh. I played with uh, Tears for Fears during Elemental Tour. And yeah. it was when Roland Orzabal had split with Kurt Smith. Yep. So he ended up doing his version of Tears for Fears. And so I got to do that. And then eventually, you know, after a year, I thought, well, I still want to do my own stuff. And... I did write a couple of songs for this Tears for Fears record called Raul and the Kings of Spain. Yeah. But it was like, you know, it was like writing a song with a whole group. And so it wasn't really quite the same, but it was, you know, it was fabulous to be able to, you know, contribute. Probably one of the least known <laughs> Tears for Fears record, but hey, you know, it is, you know, still part of a, uh, this you know dynasty of you're part of the legend of music, part of the yeah part, part of, the, of the legend of course yeah you know it really it really was quite an experience you know to be able to you and you know, and do you that. take you take I, I'm assuming that you take some of that and you're like let me take a because of of the guy that you are and the way that I think uh, plugged in that you have been literally and figuratively to the technology of what's going on and and the artistry of songwriting, you probably take some of that and you're like, oh, this is what audiences respond to. And then you can take that and, pun intended, transpose that into your own songwriting. Is that is that? Yeah, fair? absolutely. Yeah, yeah the, the choruses, uh, you know, were just compelling, you know, everybody to sing along. You right. Know? So, like, it was maybe like, oh, yeah, you need to, you need to write things like that that people, you know, feel like joining in. And and, you, and and now you have a you have you have like so many legendaries that you've done that you you turned that yeah. into a thing that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I suppose <laughs> I suppose I did learn a lot from that. Even though it's funny, I never thought of that until just now. You're you know making me realize <laughs> something that I didn't really know. But um, and 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 you know, and it makes sense to me too. Um, how many people have cheered along with if it, if it makes you happy? Like, like there's just, you became anthemic. You understood right. the key to anthems. Well, you know, that wasn't really, um, the driving force behind me writing. I know, that I know, song. It wasn't, but yeah, but I mean, it was based on, you know, heartbreak and, um, and trying to resolve what went wrong, you know, what, what happened. And, um, and it was just asking a lot of questions, you know, like what could have I done differently that would have saved, you know, this relationship, 
But then in maybe it being such a pure reaction to being heartbroken, that's what made me sing, you know? And um, so that song really, uh, and I was, I wrote that when I was still living in that little studio apartment. We're talking about the Sheryl Crow, uh, number one around the world, super hit, mega hit, number one song on the planet Earth for a long time, if it makes you happy, that everybody, even if you don't know the name, Jeff Trott or Sheryl Crow, that everybody knows the words to. This is what we're talking about right yeah. now. You wrote it in that apartment. with Yeah, it was you know written after consuming a $2 bottle of sherry. <laughs> <laughs> sherry! <laughs> so, oh, sherry, oh, yeah. No. That was all no. that was in the house. No, yeah. no, no. No, it's, I mean, it wasn't what made me write the song, but it definitely <laughs> coaxed it out. So, I mean, embarrassingly, but, you know, <laughs> hey, you know, look what it brought. Well, this, this is why when people say there's no, uh, uh, there's no handbook to parenting, there's a lot of, you know, people write a lot of stuff. There's no um, secret code to songwriting. A lot of people write songs and do documentaries about songwriting. This is the example of that. This came from nowhere. You did not expect this. This was not a thing, right? It just came from you. Well, it was facilitating, you know, a means of, of, you know, it was, I'm trying to console myself, I guess. And that really helped make me be expressive in a way that I'd never been. You were in a bad spot. Yeah. Yeah. What was the spot you were in? Describe the spot you were in for me. I know, I know it's painful, but. I mean, it was heartbreak that, really felt like, you know, a knife turning in my heart. It really felt that painful. And I it was so intense. And I never felt that way. I you know, I had been in love with other people before. Yeah. But I don't know what it was. I couldn't stop thinking of her. And it was at the risk of overstepping, what was the thing? The thing is, so we, you know, we're living together in that little apartment, um, and she hated being in L.A. She loved me. Yeah. But so so the reason wasn't necessarily like, hey, we're breaking up because, you know, our relationship isn't working. It was like, well, I can't live here. I really hate. Where was she from, Jeff? Uh, Sacramento. Well, so actually, still California. Roseville. She just didn't yeah. like. She, she still like was was a West Coast baby, but um, yeah, didn't, didn't love uh, the Hollywood stuff. Well, yeah, I think because you know a lot of people go to L.A. very ambitious, you know, have big dreams and stuff. And was she an actress, an act, like an, an artist? No, I think she. Um, you know, at the time, she wasn't really. Um, we met in San Francisco and then stayed in touch writing letters and stuff when, when people still wrote each yeah, other yeah, letters. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm part and, of that generation, uh, yeah. And we just tried it for, you know, maybe a year or so, and she didn't really have any... Um, well, I'm not going to say she didn't have any ambitions. She did, but I think um, she just was trying to figure out where uh where she was in the scheme of things yeah she had gotten a a job working at a recording studio funny enough the recording studio that cheryl did her first record in um 
And she also worked for a radio station, too, not being a broadcaster, but she was interested in music as much as me, but I think she was trying to figure it out. She was much younger than me, and she was trying to really figure it out and came to the conclusion, hey, I can't stay here. I love you, but... You know, and so watching her go off and realizing like, wow, you know, and it was kind of all of a sudden I had no idea. I was caught up in my own thing, uh, you know, not to recognize that, you know, maybe she wasn't really uh, very happy. So, right, um, right. So I've never heard you talk about this like that. That's incredible. Yeah. Like The story of it. Does she realize well, I'm married to her today. Oh, that's the woman. <laughs> that's the- yeah, I know. That's the craziest thing. We ended up getting back together after many years. And it's funny how those things, you know, they work or yeah. don't, you know, it was a big surprise that we did get back together. Yeah. But I think we, you know, we ended up reconvening our uh, <laughs> our relationship in Portland, Oregon, which is a much more personable place, or at least it was back when we moved there. Yeah. You know, so, uh, yeah, so she can. And, oh, and, yeah, that's a great story. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. She's always asking when I write songs these days, it's like, oh, is that one about me, too? <laughs> I go, they're all about you. babe. <laughs> 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 yeah, you floored me there. I didn't. I had no idea that that you were still that 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 she was your your muse is your wife. That's so crazy. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess it has to come from somewhere, and you have to write about what you do know. Yeah. I know that when the reviews of that song came out, they everybody loved the song, but they were like, you know, what the heck are the lyrics about? It's like <laughs> it, they're so oblique, and that's just my mind is kind of like that. So when I got together with Cheryl, writing some songs with her, she would just say, you know, hey, do you have anything? I'm like, oh, I've got this song, you know, and I'd play it for her. And she's like, oh, let me write the second verse, you know. But then when she sang the song, it really, it was like, okay, you own that song. Maybe, maybe that song is about my life, but you were able to take it and turn it into something, you know, 10 people from my family would have heard it if I put it out, you know, and whatever, you know, yeah. 10 million people yeah. <laughs> were able to hear it because more of more than that. I think, yeah, you know, so, yeah. You use the word oblique and that is, that's interesting because so often I talk to songwriters who write, you could write literally, you can say I was on this street on that day and this thing happened writers are very often surprised by how many people will respond to something like that, right? They'll be like, I wrote this very personal thing about a personal uh, event that happened to me, and I can't believe how many people connected to the sentiment of it. Yeah. You know, when they were surprised when they released something so personal that it would become so ubiquitous. You said oblique. That's the other way to kind of go, where you're writing less specifically, and then it allows everybody to come in and paint their own picture. That's kind of what you're talking about right now. And that's part of the beauty of it. People will connect to it on either the literal uh, uh, lyrics don't matter and they paint their own thing or the obliqueness of the song is enough. And, and the music, obviously the music is vital, but the music is enough there. So yeah. you, you are painting in an oblique area and people are allowed to kind of connect to it in the way that 
means something to them. That must have amazed you. Well, I've never been good at the uh, conversational type lyrics. Yeah. So that's the, the only way that I've ever really written is, you know, in, in you know, shop the shopping list uh, right. method, if you want to call it that. And um, do you still do that, by the way? Do you still have a, like a list or is it on your phone or is there is there a. Oh, yeah, I'm always I have, you know, I keep journals and somebody you know, says I something always, in conversation when you're out for dinner. You're like, oh, I like that turn of phrase. You're like, I'm going to grab that. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll, hear, I'll overhear something that somebody says that maybe they'll say something that sounds very cliche but maybe they get it wrong and that just sounds so much better <laughs> you know and so i'm yeah. like oh yeah like quickly get the phone and tap it in and you know like you have something yeah i just recently wrote a song that is i think currently cheryl crow's latest single and it's called forever and we had been trying to write like, you know, everybody's always saying, you know, you got to write another if it makes you happy and this. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Can you, well, can you do me a favor and go direct another Godfather? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It just doesn't happen that way. Yeah. You know, if people can do that, great, you know, go for it. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say impossible for me to do it, but I don't think that way. And usually when I work with her, I'll bring something. It could be a guitar riff. It'll be a phrase. It'll be a concept or something like that. So she was saying, "Hey, let's let's get together and let's just see if maybe we could write." This is recently, you know that just recently, yep. yeah, earlier this year. Yeah. And so I, I, you know, got together with her, or uh, before I got together with her, the night before, I sat down and I was like, I found this really nice little acoustic -y arpeggio thing and I was like oh this is this is pretty and then I was like kind of humming and trying to find a melody for it and I was thinking of my situation not just with her but just in general you know and I used a um, I guess it would be a cliche you know nothing lasts forever and so I sat down and I was singing nothing lasts forever and I thought that's yeah that's how many times has that been sung so <laughs> i was like thinking like okay there's no such thing as forever and and but you and me we've got today and that's maybe one of the like most basic things that i think i've ever written as far as you know a, a lyric but i brought that to cheryl you know and played her this thing and then it was sort of like Oh my God, I love this. So we wrote about living in the moment, which isn't like a completely original thought. It's pretty great, but though. It's a, but it's a, good, it's a good reminder that, yeah, you can make all these plans and stuff and like, yeah, we'll, we'll go to the Bahamas, you know, this year. Let's make that plan. But what about doing that right now? You know, I mean, maybe it's not, well, maybe you don't have the money to be able to do that. So maybe let's create the Bahamas in our backyard or something, you know, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of this song just kind of emerged. And as we were writing By the way, it by the way, Bahamas in your backyard is good. Don't forget that. Ooh, there's a good there's alliteration. The, there we go. Yeah, let's keep, okay, keep going. <laughs> Bahamas in your backyard. Yeah, well, so, you know, I think that is why we've been able to write so many songs together because we have like this sort of trust and also we feed each other ideas and stuff. And Cheryl is a very 
you know, top-notch lyricist, and she can write, you know, verses for days and all this stuff. So we were we were able to like take that idea, and you know, it's sort of like playing tennis or badminton or something, and just yeah, you know, throwing keep ideas it up in the air, yeah. back. Yep. Keep it going as yeah. long as there's momentum, yeah. and it's going somewhere. Keep going, and so we did that. We came up with the song that really is truly like uh, like the quintessential friendship song. It, we, we were writing it for each other, and it was just a great sentiment. And, and, you know, some of that it's like, well, you're writing it for, you know, your kids or yeah. people that mean something to you. And so this song, I mean, I, I'm not the braggadocious type but no, this not. song is really <laughs> oh my god it it may be one of the best songs that I've written with her yet I really strongly feel that and we played it together after we wrote it, it took us like I don't know maybe an hour to finish it we sat down hold on you wrote this song in an hour we wrote it in an hour it was just it was like okay this resin the idea resonated so deeply between us that we were just able to like try to keep it as clear in thought as we could so you're efficient as well well i mean we write a lot of songs so there's a lot of you know yeah. leftover whatever casualties or whatever battle sure, casualties sure. sometimes when you when something resonates so deeply it's almost it's almost like it's just writing itself and all you have to do is just follow the follow the trail and just stay on that on that path and that's what we did and it was like wow it should i wish let's write another one you know like yeah. and it should be that easy and sometimes it's hard for artists to just go hey well let's just take this you know let's try to write as clear and honestly and simply as possible. And that's exactly what we did. Rather than trying to make it Shakespeare, we cut out the pretense and just got to pure, you know, emotional that, that's, or emotion. That's, that's interesting you say that, uh, trying to make it Shakespeare. I, I, I remember talking to somebody about um, a song that they had written that became a very popular wedding song. And if he had gone out that day or into that session and decided that he wanted to write a wedding song, it, it, it would have been like the wrong tack to take, right? It would have been, it's not the way you can go. You can't go in trying to write an anthem. You go in writing, being authentic and being open and allowing your emotions and, uh, to be available. But if you go in with that agenda, it almost gets in the way, doesn't it? It does, because then you're, you know, you're, you're reacting purely with your brain and not with your soul or something like that. That yeah. sounds corny, but, no, no, but no, that's I, I true. I think that's it. Yeah, I think that's it. You just have to not overanalyze it. I mean, granted, there's a craft in writing and all this stuff, you know, as you're playing the song or, you know, running through the lines and stuff, you want them to sound good too. You want them to be able to be... And you're uh, like, I know this 11-minute version of this song is amazing, but maybe we should <laughs> cut it down a bit so people can digest it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. We'll save that for the concept record <laughs> yeah. later. But yeah, and there's nothing better than being able to, you know, write something that is a joy to, 
that's not too much of a challenge. I mean, you want some challenge too. Yeah. You want yourself to like, okay, I'm going to add more syllables to make it more rhythmical in a way that I don't, you know, haven't done. You want to, you want to keep evolving, but at the end of it all, you really do want it to be this thing that gives you a lot of pleasure in playing, you know, like, Oh, I can't wait to play. I can play this song yeah. all day long. Yeah. You know, I love that's that. what I want. Yeah. You're an amazing guy, man. You allowed your natural passions and tendencies. You didn't stand in the way of them and they evolved into this incredible career. You know, obviously the passion that you had was magnetic. You attracted the right people and your stories were allowed to surface just because of yeah. because of the fact that you let them out. You didn't stand in the way of it. It's a tough one, man. It's like if people come up to you and ask you for advice, I'm sure it's kind of tough. You're like, what I did was so crazy. What I did was so like, I was just being me and it happened. So if I have any advice, why don't you just try and be me? Try and be Jeff Trot. Go ahead. Good luck. Like, it's exactly. Crazy. Yeah, I know. I don't know how else to be. I guess that's the, the, uh, there's only you know, the with the and and that's the other thing too. I think limitations can be blessings too. Yeah, I mean you know to hear somebody say, "Oh, I could never write a song," or "I could never sing a song," or something. I just like you know. I could never, I, I could never say that, yeah. you know, I could, because I feel like you, you, you just have to try. Maybe you're not going to sound like Pavarotti out of the gate. <laughs> Maybe you're not going to be Shakespeare writing it down on paper, but you know, there's already been those people. It's like, you know, be, do your you thing, know, do your thing, do your, be thing. your own yeah. Jeff Trot. do it. Do um, it. You're, yes. you're great, man. Uh, I love chatting with you. Um, I love the fact that you have the story with your wife. What a wonderful thing to have in your career <laughs> that your wife is so instrumental, pun intended, to your music yeah. career. Um, totally. And, and then the fact that you have this relationship with Sheryl Crow, which is just legendary and will um, be talked about in the annals of music history for decades and right. millennia to come. <laughs> uh, thanks for doing this, man. It's a real, a real pleasure. Well, we're going to get to see you this summer, right? You're coming out. Yeah, I'll be yeah. out there in the end of July yeah. in uh, Penticton. Penticton. Yeah, Penticton, British Columbia. Yeah, one of the most beautiful parts of North America. You're yes. going to love it. We're going to have a great time. So yeah. I have heard. I can't wait to be joining everybody, and I'm looking forward to it. Jeff, thanks for doing this today, man. Have a great uh, rest a of your long weekend, and I'll see you uh, in British Columbia. All right, take care. Thanks, brother. See you, buddy. Thanks for listening. This has been Storytellers. Join me, Paul McGuire, live this summer with Kim Mitchell, Glass Tiger's Alan Frew, 5440's Neil Osborne, and many others for an experience you'll remember always. The 97 South Song Sessions Songwriters Festival is happening this July, the 21st to the 23rd, in Penticton, British Columbia's incomparable wine country. An intimate, bluebird-style music performance that features songwriters in the round, playing their hits, and relating stories of a life in music. Tickets and information at 97southsongsessions.com. Download the free Stingray Music mobile app and listen to the 97 South Song Sessions channel today. Stingray Music. Life's on you. Music's on us.